So normally at this time, we have a time of testimony where we invite uh, someone from the congregation to come up and share a few words about what God is doing in their life. Uh, we're having a different kind of testimony today. Uh, it's going to be uh, Ethan Kuhn is going to be uh, playing, uh, but that's going to happen later on during the sermon. So uh, testimony will happen, uh, but just uh, be patient and we will get there in a moment. So for now, I'm going to read our scripture for today. And this comes from the Gospel of Luke and the 22nd chapter. Hear these words. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And he reached the place. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. So uh, I was talking uh, to a, a parent uh, the other day about uh, this, I don't know, phenomenon is too big of a word, but an interesting thing that happens when it comes to birthday parties. So I know we have not really been socially engaging much the last couple of years, and so we are now just beginning to come back into that. And so in some ways, we need to relearn what does it mean to actually be social again with people in our lives. And that includes birthday parties. And so birthday parties, including birthday parties for children, can be a little tricky. If your child has a birthday, there might be that question of, like, who do we invite? So do we invite the whole classroom? Do we invite just the child's friends? Do we invite just a really close number of close, close friends? All of these things. And then there's also the whole question about gifts. And so when you uh, sometimes receive a birthday invitation, they will put on the card, no gifts, please. So on the first, when you first look at that, that might make all the sense of the world. Perhaps this child has more than enough gifts. Uh, and so the parents are saying, we don't want uh, any more, so please just come and enjoy the festivities, and that would be great. But what happens sometimes is even though you say, uh, please no gifts, people will bring gifts anyway. Uh, and then, in talking to a friend, they were also saying that not only did the parents say that please no gifts, and people brought gifts, and then they took time to open the gifts, and so the person who didn't bring gifts doesn't feel so great about not bringing gifts because they were just following instructions, don't bring gifts. So it can be tricky these days. When they say to bring something, do I actually bring something or not? Whenever we go over to someone's house, perhaps you've been invited over for dinner, and again, as we begin to figure out how to do that again, you maybe were brought up to feel like I have to bring something in order to show them that I want to be a good guest. So whether it's a bottle of wine or a loaf of bread or something like that, there's that sense within us, I've got to bring something. So I think sometimes, I was thinking about this, when it comes to prayer, we might be feeling the same way. Sometimes we might feel like I have to bring something in order to enter into this practice. And that's what we are talking about in this sermon series during the Lenten season, this whole notion of spiritual practices. For those of you who were here last week, Pastor Hannah Carden talked about what it means to practice something. That's called spiritual practices 
for a reason, meaning we try them out, we see how they fit, we make mistakes. All of these things are important for our faith lives. And so during this series, we are looking at the Gospels, uh, particularly the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at the different spiritual practices that Jesus engaged in, especially in his final days. So we're trying and sharing all of these ways that Jesus practiced these things so that we might use them in our own lives as well. Last week, Hannah talked about hospitality. Today, I want to talk about prayer. Prayer is one of those things, whenever I talk to people, there's always that desire, I want to pray more. And so I, I hear that a lot, but there's sometimes some uh, challenges or barriers in front of them when they think about, I have a desire to pray more, pray more deeply, whatever it is, and yet they're a little bit intimidated. And I can totally get that because sometimes you might think, how do I actually engage in prayer? Are there magic words I'm supposed to say? Do I kneel? Do I stand? Do I sit? Do I fold my hands? Do I close my eyes? What is it in engaging in these prayer practices? And so then there's this sense again, am I supposed to bring something when I am entering into prayer? Some of you may have grown up Catholic, and so do I bring a rosary? Or some people have prayer beads, perhaps, do I bring that? Or I'm supposed to bring with me a, a, a memorized prayer or a list of things and so it's so intimidating that they might think, I'm just going to stick with the basics or maybe not even engage in it at all. And I understand all of that because prayer indeed can be kind of intimidating, especially if we think I'm supposed to enter into it already knowing something and I'm supposed to bring something into this process. But let's take a look at this passage here today to get a sense that Jesus actually shows us a couple of different things to try to make prayer not quite so intimidating. So first, when we lead up to this text, to give you a little bit of background, so this is from Luke 22, and to look back at the beginning of Luke 22, we see perhaps some really good reasons why Jesus has to pray. So early in chapter 22, Jesus stands up in front of all of the disciples and announces that he is going to be betrayed. That's the first thing. Second thing, what happens after that? Some of his disciples, the people who have been following him around, the people that Jesus has been trying so hard to teach, they begin to fight amongst themselves about who is the greatest. So Jesus overhears them like, I'm the best disciple. No, no, no. I'm the best disciple. Jesus has been trying to teach them. The last shall be first. Remember that line? And here are the disciples arguing with one another, arm wrestling probably, about who is the greatest disciple. So then after that, Jesus stands up and predicts that Peter, Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, is going to betray him. So that all of that leads us up to this moment where Jesus feels like he has to get away to pray. Can we blame him? So there are a couple of things in this passage that I, a couple of phrases that really caught my eye when it comes to what it means to engage in prayer as a spiritual practice. In this passage, the very first part of it, it says, again, Jesus came out and went, as was his custom. As was his custom. What this tells me is that Jesus is true to himself in that he is a man of prayer, of consistent prayer. 
Luke is probably my favorite gospel for lots of different reasons, but one of them is because we see more than Matthew or Mark or John, we see Jesus going off by himself to pray more than any of the other gospels. We see it several times. We see it at the beginning of, of uh, near the beginning of the gospel of Luke at his baptism. We see it early in his ministry. We see it before he appoints his disciples. We see before Peter confesses that Jesus is Lord. We see before Jesus teaches disciples about prayer, Jesus goes away to be in prayer. So all of these things, we see that this is a habit. This is a consistent part of who Jesus is and of his life. So if I were to ask you, where are the places in your life now where you will pray, say on a daily basis? So what is something in your life, in your day-to-day, -day, I'm gonna ask this question of anybody, feel free to shout it out online if you want to type this in in the chat. Where is a time in your day when you pray? Before meals, Before meals. thank you. Anyone else? Early morning. Early morning. At the end of the day. Before leaving on a big trip? Any students in the house before a big test, perhaps? You might throw up a prayer or two. Maybe before getting into a car. Wherever it is, we have lots of different times and places where we pray on a consistent basis. Now, sometimes you might think to yourself, you have a prayer, perhaps, let's take meals, for example. Some of you may have a prayer that you say consistently before you pray over a meal. And you know this, and it's memorized. And so sometimes it might seem like it is just rote. And so you just say the words, and it doesn't mean anything to you. But I would say to you to embrace that consistency, because you are on your way to a really good start of incorporating prayer into your life, because you're already doing it on a consistent basis. As was your custom, as we see here in this text, as was Jesus' custom, I would encourage you to build on these habits that you've already started before a meal, before you're going to bed, but when you wake up in the morning, and to keep it simple too. Just sometimes I hesitate to share how I pray because I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, that's what I've got to do. No, but at least to give you a sense of what my own prayer practices are. So when I get up in the morning, I usually will be spend some time reflecting on a psalm. There's a psalm in the week, so that's how I start my day. Usually after lunch or so, I will read something from the Gospels. Or lately, I've been doing a new prayer practice called Visio Divina, where I look at a piece of art, like cut out from a magazine or online, and I reflect on that piece of art to see how is the Spirit working and what is the Spirit saying to me as I reflect on this piece of art. Later in the afternoon, I will read an excerpt from a spiritual author and pray over that. Now, when I do this, especially like late afternoon, this is maybe three minutes or so. So it's not an extended amount of time, but it's become a habit for me. And then at the end of the day, I do what's called the examine. It's a, a spiritual practice where you reflect on the day, think about what are the things for which I am grateful, and then where are the places where I fell short and have sinned and ask for forgiveness. So that's my, those are my practices. And thankfully, over the years, they have become embedded. And so as was my custom, those are the things that I am doing. So let us follow Jesus as was his custom. Start somewhere. You're already doing it. How can you incorporate more of that into your own life? So the second thing I think that's important, or the phrase that sticks out to me, is this. When Jesus says, remove this cup from me. 
So again, in the text, he says this. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is true to himself in that he doesn't necessarily bring anything to this time of prayer other than he brings himself, all of himself. And that's another thing sometimes that prayer can be intimidating because we feel like I've got to bring my best self before God. But what God desires is for you to bring your true self. And that means all of your stuff, the thoughts in your head that you think nobody else in this world have and you would probably be a little embarrassed by, God wants that too. Which for me can be like, I'm not so sure about that, but I think that that's true. Because we see here that Jesus, who we have seen in this passage, Son of God, Lord, Messiah, Jesus, what is on his heart? He desires God's will first and foremost, but Jesus also says, I would rather not go through what is about to come. Take this cup from me. This is Jesus at his most vulnerable, perhaps, his most real. All of the things that are going on in his head, he voices it to God. Remove this cup from me. Jesus desires God's will, but also Jesus is willing to share what is in his heart. And this is what God desires. God desires you. All of you, the things for which you celebrate about your giftedness, but also the stuff that you would rather hide, God wants all of that. God wants you to bring yourself in that time of prayer. Last week, um, some of you were here for, uh, we hosted the One Earth Film Festival, or a movie from the One Earth Film Festival, and we showed a documentary about octopuses. And uh, there, it focused on a, uh, a man named Dr. David Shield, professor of marine biology at Alaska Pacific University. And Dr. Shield did this really interesting experiment. He built this large saltwater tank in their living room. And for about a year, they put an octopus in this tank to watch it and take care of it and to see how it interacted with the people in his family. It was a pretty fascinating documentary. And I realized I don't know a whole lot about octopuses. I also learned that the plural of octopuses could be octopuses or octopi or even octopodes. So it's a little piece of information you didn't think you'd get today. But I've, one of the interesting things I learned from him is that studies have been done and that octopuses recognize human faces. They've done studies on this in aquariums. And so because of this, there were times when Dr. Scheele needed to weigh this octopus. They named the octopus Heidi. And so they needed to weigh Heidi. Now this could be, you might imagine, a little traumatic for Heidi. Someone is going to come in with a net, pull, the, pull her out of this to weigh her. And so because Dr. Scheele did not want to equate his face with the, for the octopus to think this is tr something traumatic is going to happen, Dr. Scheele would put on a mask. So I think we have, if you could show the photo first, Let's see, a, this is a picture of Dr. Scheele. That's Dr. Scheele. Now he put on this mask, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> so he put on this mask when he was about to do something that was traumatic to the octopus. So that whenever he would feed or be with the octopus in his, without the mask, the octopus would be, oh, I like this guy. But then Dr. Scheele would put on a mask and the octopus was like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't want anything to do with him. 
so that he could separate those two things. Now, I realize the whole metaphor of mask thing might have already played out for a long, long time for lots of different reasons. But I think sometimes this gets into how we sometimes are doing in prayer. We feel like I've got to put on a mask when I enter into God. I want God to see all of the good things that I have done so that God doesn't get mad at me. I hear so many stories of people coming out of really traumatic religious experiences where in church all this talk about are the bad things that they have done. And I'm not saying that we should ignore sin at all, but when you keep hammering on it too, people get a little skittish and they might feel like I can't come before God unless I've got all of my stuff figured out. And if that's the case, we'll never approach God. We feel like we've got to put on a mask in order to engage in prayer. But again, God wants you, all of you. You don't have to put anything on. You don't have to be any kind of person other than the person that God has created you to be. That's what God desires, is that kind of relationship. I think sometimes, too, when we think about prayer, we may get intimidated by the fact that there are certain things that we should do or ways that we should pray. But something happened, it reminded me a few weeks ago that that is also not the case, that there's so many different ways to pray. So um, uh, my wife and son are here today. My wife's uh, parents uh, both passed away. Her, her dad died in 1986, her mom died in 2005. And since then, well, she's always been very close to her aunt and uncle. Uh, this was her mom's sister, her Aunt Jenny, and her uncle Will. And so have been close to their family for many, many years, have had many Thanksgivings with them. At least once a year we go uh, in the summer to, they have a beautiful home in Pentwater, Michigan, and we spend a week on the shores of Lake Michigan. Lots of treasured memories are here. And in many ways, Uncle Will and Aunt Jenny have been uh, there for Anne and her siblings, especially after her parents have passed away. We found out a few weeks ago that her uncle Will has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, and the prognosis uh, is not great. And so this was before President's Day weekend that we found that out, and so we wanted to go down and see him. They live, uh, they have the summer home in Petwater, Michigan, but the main home is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So we quickly made uh, travel plans to go down uh, to see Uncle Will in Fort Wayne. So as we were traveling down there, both uh, uh, Uncle Will and Aunt Jenny go to a Presbyterian church in Fort Wayne. And over the years, too, I've had many conversations with Uncle Will about religion and faith and Jesus, and he always has lots of good questions. Sometimes I'm, like, I'm not sure I want to engage in those ways. He's a very curious man, and so we have lots of good conversations about that. They've also asked me to do certain things because uh, I'm a pastor, and so sometimes they'll ask me to pray before a meal. They asked me one year to bless a treehouse that they had made. So there are all kinds of ways that I get called upon. So as we were traveling down there, because I'm so used to this in my 25 years of ministry, I sometimes in my head think they may ask me to pray or do something because of who I am and what I do for a living. So I started in my head to put together something. What would I say if I were called upon to pray for Uncle Will? So uh, we couldn't spend a lot of time because he's getting tired easily these days, but we were sitting there uh, in the morning. This is on President's Day. And so it was uh, my wife and my two children, Uncle Will and Aunt Jenny, and their daughter and uh, her husband were sitting there reminiscing, sharing wonderful stories. And again, in my head, I'm like, all right, what am I going to say in case they ask me to pray? And then something pretty wonderful happened, a couple of different things. 
first, Anne took some time to share out of her own heart just what Aunt Jenny and Uncle Will have meant to her over the years. And she started, as you might understand, to tear up and to share, shed a few tears, but just the most heartfelt things of just what they have meant to her, that the love that she has for them. And it was such an amazing, holy, sacred moment in that time. And I realized, I'm not going to have to say anything today. Anne is already praying in this way. She is sharing her most real, her most vulnerable, so that Uncle Will and Aunt Jenny know just how much they mean to her. And then, after that, um, they knew, Uncle Will and Aunt Jenny know that uh, my son, Ethan, plays the piano. And so they had requested him to play something. So after Anne had kind of shared, kind of out of her own heart, and then Ethan got up, so this is your cue to get up, and he went over the piano, and he started to play. And this will be our testimony for today. <laughs> 